It's case study time. So if you're interested in multifamily properties and you're interested in increasing the values, this is the episode for you. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Russell Westcott here. So hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. Got a fun episode here for you. Had the great honor and privilege and opportunity to sit down with a colleague, with a good, uh, you know, great investor out in the marketplace. And has almost taken them. Uh, he's come out of nowhere of late. You know, I've known Corey for, for many years. We, we go way back. But just over the past year, he's just really come into his own. He's uh, taken the world by storm again. You know, it's like one of those things is, you know, lo and behold, uh, day in, day out, doing all the work. And geez, 20 years later, you're an overnight success. So this um, interview was taken with Corey Spurley. Corey and I had an opportunity to sit down just before Christmas of 2020, and it's now coming out in, I think this is dropping in the February time, time frame. So you're going to love this um, this um, look into multifamily properties. You're going to love this look into adding value to the transactions. Corey has a couple, um, you know, controversial and very strong opinions on a, on a few topics on on cap rates and and things like that. But that's one of the things I like about Corey and what you will find with him is, you know, he just tells it like it is on his opinion. He may be right. He may be wrong, but you just never, you'll, you'll always know where you stand with Corey. And uh, he does a wonderful job. He he takes a big stand for his investments. He takes a big stand for his investors. He takes a stand for um, helping people not step on the same landmines that he stepped on over the years. So in this one, we talk an awful lot about um, multifamily. We talk about a couple of his recent projects. We talk about uh, a value add um, project that he did out in the Alberta marketplace and the Leduc marketplace. We went deep into the numbers. So if you're interested in multifamily properties and you're interested in, you know, what it takes and how to analyze the deals, how to do the diligence, how to um, add value to the properties, he gives a lot of insights. And we go really heavy into... Um, into multifamily, raising rents, what that means to the valuation, and also on the diligence of that. So that's what you're going to love. And just one quick thing I wanted to share with you before I, we dive into the in-depth episode here is one of the things I love with both doing this podcast is surrounding myself and having amazing conversations with with, you know, for lack of a better term, positive people, people that are moving forward, people that are taking action, people that, um, you know what, understand that things are rough, understand this is difficult, understand this is a challenge, but you know what, they do it anyways. And that's one of the things that I want to do is I want to surround myself with those people that are actually moving forward, surround myself with people who are inspiring, who, um, you know, are not going to, you know, 
mince words and not going to sugarcoat things for you and not going to be overly positive and optimistic. But at the same time, they're also moving forward, which is very positive on this. And they'll be very quick to give you a high five and they'll be very quick to help you move forward. So gang, and I think I just shot a a recent video on this, like one of the micro content video talking about what's the worst party to to attend. And that's a pity party. Uh, Don't want to belong to you and I. I definitely don't want to go to a pity party. Now, I know you know what a pity party is. You've probably been to it and you get to in the, within a group and everybody just starts piling on and says, oh, woe is me and this can't be done, that can't be done. And it's just a big old, big old giant bunch of pity party going on. Get away from that pity party as fast as possible. If you find yourself at a pity party, here's what you need to do. Check, please. And then you need to then you need to become a Casper, and then you need to be ghost that that uh, pity party, and go find yourself a party of people that are actually moving forward, people that are taking action, people that are doing deals and are very helpful in the process. Okay, gang. With all that being said, um, just as an FYI, um, I, I think there's more to be said on that whole thing around real estate cycles and investor waves. And I've made some big mistakes. And, and what I'm going to do is I was had plans to record that whole segment of, of real estate cycles and investor waves. You know, you you will, if you're in this game for long periods of times, you will find times that you'll be at, you know, top of a market. You, next time you'll be at a down of a market. Also, your, your mindset, also your uh, psychology, also your mental makeup will also go through lots of waves as well. And I was planning to record it at the opening of this Pres, uh, this podcast, but what I've decided it was it was getting very deep and very long. So I'm I'm going to break that into its own episode, and I'm going to create an entire um, podcast episode on just on real estate cycles and investor waves is my working title of that presentation. So stay tuned; that one's upcoming. Okay, gang. With all that being said, please help me welcome Mr. Corey Spurley. Hey, Corey Spurley, how are you doing today, my friend? Welcome to the show. Snowboarder's paradise, Russell. There's three <laughs> feet of snow outside, but I think you're seeing the same thing I am. Yeah, well, we're uh, we're going to do a cardinal sin here and we're going to date this recording of this. We're, we're It's just before Christmas, 2022. And I look outside the window here and we, we had, we literally had three feet of snow overnight out here, out here on the coast. And, and lower mainland of Vancouver is not designed for snow. <laughs> How are things out in Kelowna, Corey? Good. It's been a busy, busy couple of months right before Christmas. Um, you know, I just did a refinance on a property, just trying to wrap up my year ends, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, we're headed into this post-pandemic world. So I'm pretty stoked to, to get back to life as normal or as normal as can be. <laughs> I was about this. I go, if you can tell me what normal is, please, please, I've got a fresh cup of coffee. Let me know what normal is right now. <laughs> All right. So, so Corey, um, what I want to do is... Um, Here's the conversation I want to have today, and and truly is going to be a conversation, is, um, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know who you are. And that was probably maybe by design. I'm not sure. But I think uh, Corey Spurley needs to to get out into the marketplace more because you have a, a wealth of knowledge. You have an incredible amount of experience behind you. You have a credible amount of information that you can share with an, an audience of people. 
And so for people that maybe don't know who you are, why don't you give us the little bit of the nickel tour of the backstory of Corey Sperley and what led you up into this rock star real estate investor today? Well, I don't know if I'd consider rock star, but thanks for the plug, Russell. Um, yeah, I've been basically, uh, you know, a turtle in third gear, you know, very kind of tiptoeing my way into investing. Um, I started in the year 2000, you know, with a house hack in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where I'm from. And from there, I think I joined Rain around 2003, but I was very like slow learner. I was following, you know, a lot of mentors, you know, big names up there, like obviously like yourself, Don Campbell, Thomas Beyer, and just kind of learning, just taking my time. So I started investing in single family, uh, moved up to duplexes, and then I very quickly moved into multifamily. But I was very, you know, kind of shy in front of the camera. I didn't do a lot of social media posts. I didn't do a lot of, you know, emailing, that kind of thing. You know, I started to raise capital privately from friends and family to get into other deals. So, you know, I quickly transitioned into multifamily around 2004. Um, you know, I co-invested in a deal and then I bought my first building in 2008. And since then, I'm now in my 11th multifamily purchase. And it's pretty much just this year, I think in almost January 2020, that I finally started getting out of my shell a little bit and doing some social media and, you know, sharing my story and, and, you know, letting people get to know me a little bit, kind of opening up, right? Right. But it took a while. Yeah. So so 20 years later, you're an overnight success? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say it that way. <laughs> uh, so, so, um, so thank you. That I know that was that was truly the nickel tour, but and I think there's an awful lot, like literally from buying your place, first place in 2000 to 11 buildings in 2022. Um, there's an awful lot of stuff in between those 20 years that we can truly unpack there. So, 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 gang, before we do dive into the the, the really thick end of the weeds here, just as an FYI, this is two guys from Saskatchewan. Uh, we may have a Saskatchewan joke uh, once in a while. We may we may talk about uh, bunny hugs, and we may talk about you know Vico milk, and we may talk about a few uh, you know a few of those kind of things too. So we may talk Saskatchewanese, which you won't understand. <laughs> Only us us guys from Saskatchewan can understand. But uh, whereabouts were you born and raised in in the, the beautiful um, uh, home province? So I'm from Unity, Saskatchewan. So if anybody's familiar with Saskatchewan, it's actually near the Battlefords, kind of the Lloydminster area. More accurately, if you drive from Wainwright to Saskatoon, you're going to drive through it. You know, very small community, farming community, 2,500 people. It's also coincidentally where I bought my first multifamily building. It was a 12-plex that I bought for 29000 a door, if you can believe that. <laughs> Do you still own it today? No, we actually, it actually turned into a burr. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing when I started. So I took on this building uh, after I had just started a full-time job, just had a brand new baby. It was 400 kilometers from Edmonton and I had no property manager. So I really don't know how, how I managed to turn that into a winning deal, but it ended up being what's known as a bird today. So I ended up selling it in uh, 2011, three years later, you know, we doubled our money, sold it for around 60 a door. But um, no, but I wish I had it held it because it was a really, really good property. Nice, nice. All right. Well, so let, let's let's have the here's the conversation I want to uh, pivot into. Um, and before I do, we do get into the nitty gritty and multifamily and trans- transitioning from single family to multifamily. Um, you have your finger on the pulse of some different markets across the country, right? You live in Kelowna. You also invest out in Alberta. What are, what are you seeing um, in in the two in the two markets? So let's. 
and we don't have to go into really in-depth, but what are you seeing in Kelowna? And then also, what are you seeing in the markets that you're investing in Alberta right now? Like, what are you just seeing on, on the top line surface? So you kind of cut out a bit there, but I think the first part of that was was the Okanagan where I'm living. Yeah. And, you know, the market here is obviously, it's still incredibly strong. I mean, we had a huge run up during COVID. Uh, I think prices have subsided a little bit in the past, you know, few months, like, you know, with the rapid rise of interest rates. But, um, you know, the market here is still very hot from what I've seen. Um, you know, on an investment climate for multifamily commercial, it's probably pretty tough. Uh, I spoke at Kamloops a couple of weeks ago. The markets there is is probably more favorable for investors. But, you know, British Columbia in general, we have the, you know, the landlord-tenant laws here are not exactly in favor of the landlord, which is why I mostly prefer the prairies. But I actually just got a letter from my property manager this morning in Edmonton. And, you know, as you know, Russell, in Alberta, it's been seven years of pain, you know, pain and suffering. And now, you know, we seem to be coming out the other end. Um <laughs> Saskatoon is even better. We've had a massive in-migration. We have a lot of people from Ukraine coming in. I've actually given like three rent increases in the last year. So I anticipate in the next, you know, three to five years on the prairies, the markets are going to be incredibly strong. You know, rents are still really low compared to 2014 levels and compared to the rest of the country. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of upside there for investors. Yeah. And and I'm seeing like, and for example, in Calgary, Calgary is kind of like this little island in, in Canada right now. And it's going gangbusters. What did I see the rent over the last 12 months was like 23% rental increase over the last 12 months. And honest to goodness, it's just starting. Uh, I believe that's my personal opinion. And even at that increase in rent, it's still one of the more affordable markets in the country. And especially when you get up to Edmonton, Edmonton's even more affordable for rent up there, especially when you compare it to the incomes that the people earn as well. Okay. All right. So, so appreciate that quick update on those two different markets. Um, what, what What's your take quickly on what happened in British Columbia recently about the, um, the changing of strata um, they they changed some bylaw or changed some ruling of the strata that there's no longer age restriction. There's no longer restriction on rentals. Do you think that's going to be a big nothing burger, or do you think it's going to impact the rental market and with more supply? What's your take? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think any little bit helps in this market. I think a lot of what contributed to the you know really scarce rentals was the short term rental market. You know, the Airbnbs. They you know they've since scaled back on those a little bit, and you know people aren't spending the money that they used to, but the Strata one is going to be interesting, you know, for a couple of reasons. You know, first of all, the ones in Kelowna that I've seen most of, they're the 55 plus. And to my understanding is those ones aren't aren't going to be affected. It's going to be the 19 plus ones. But definitely, you know, as an investor, it might have the, uh, you know, the effect of actually increasing price on those units because now you have people buying them for investment as well. But I think it should alleviate, you know, the rental market a little bit. Um, definitely things like this help. Um, the other one that's happening, you might talk about this as well, but I think in January, they're changing the laws so that there's, you can get out of a contract. You know, there's a three-day grace period for multiple offers, you know, which might alleviate some of the pressure. But, you know, in Kelowna, they're also building a ton of units here since I've moved here. So, you know, hopefully some of this starts to take the pressure off rents, but I think they're going to have to do a lot more before rents actually come down. Yeah. And and one of the things they, they haven't, in my personal opinion, they haven't fundamentally addressed completely yet 
is, you know, just because you maybe can rent a property as a landlord in BC doesn't mean you want to or should. <laughs> the rules are just horrible and still in many respects. And, and, and in any good business, you sit there and you look at your costs are rising, you know, on an annual basis. And the only thing you can put through is two and a half percent increase for next year. Like, like it doesn't take too long before that starts eroding to your margins next to nothing. And why would anyone want to be a, a landlord? Truly. Yeah, I mean, in, in Ontario, it's even worse, right? I mean, they're looking at, you know, 10 months just to get a hearing for non-payment of rent. So your tenant could just stop paying rent one day. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's going to take you a year to get him out when he stops paying. Yeah. So situations like that just make it a, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's very, very difficult environment for uh for um, investors, yeah. real estate investors, for sure. Yeah, and then and then these tenant advocacy groups they wonder why there's so low a supply of of rentals in the marketplace. If if you don't make it, if you don't make free enterprise <laughs> without restriction, right? Go figure the product that you landlords offer will be very limited in the marketplace. And every market I've seen, to be honest, every market that I have seen that is a rent-controlled marketplace, by and large, has higher rents than free enterprise markets, by and large, it's, and, and quite quite significantly, too. Yeah, definitely. The the housing markets where you see the housing crisis on the news are the ones with rent control. Now, just going back to what you said about Calgary, Calgary was the exception with rent increases. We've seen a flood of people coming from BC and Ontario and rents have actually risen, like you say, like 23%. It's still $1,000 for a one bedroom in in, in, yep. uh, in Edmonton, you know, where it's 2000 pretty much everywhere else in the country. Yep. The only exception to that rule, I would say, with rent control and low rents is Winnipeg. So for some reason, Winnipeg does have low vacancy, but their rents haven't shot up super high yet. So, you know, I, I can usually lump the fact of rent control and scarcity in with super high rents. Because you look at a rent roll from a building from BC or Ontario, you know, you see like a thousand bucks, a thousand bucks, and then you'll see like 623, 525, you know, then 1200, 1300. You know, in Alberta, we just raise rents on all units at the same time. But I'm not sure how Manitoba is, if they're doing anything different, or maybe just people aren't moving there. But that seems to be the only exception, Russell. Well, well, yeah. So, so appreciate the insight. Like you, you truly have a, a national perspective. Like myself, you have clients and coaching clients and students across the country, and so you really have your finger on the pulse of of most markets across the country. All right. So, so pivoting back in the conversation here. So, you know, so when you bought your first place in the year two thousand, where where were you living? Where what job were you doing? What was what was the first purchase that you had made at that time? Yeah. So, I mean, growing up in Saskatchewan, I mean, <laughs> rents were low. You know, in the late 90s, I got a, I graduated from tech school instrumentation and, you know, I got my first, you know, jobs in the mid 90s. And, you know, in the late 90s, I finally got a decent job. I went to work for uh, Cameco, the uranium company, Northern Saskatchewan. So it was like winning the lottery, right? Because suddenly I had disposable income. I never had disposable income before. You know, everything I made went to expenses, you know, and right around that time, I think I also read, you know, rich dad, poor dad, and kind of clued into the fact that, hey, I need to get assets going. I need to start buying property. So yeah, I picked up my first house in 2000. I think I was in my late 20s at the time. You know, it was around $120,000, which was a fortune at the time, right? You know, 8% interest rates, but I rented out the basement. It was a house hack. So that really helped um, help stabilize the income uh, on, the, on that first project. And it really kind of... Uh, you know, awakened, <laughs> I guess would be a good word to what was possible with real estate. Yeah. 
Yeah. No. And then, and then you said you went in kind of a, tr- a traditional route. You bought a single family, you house hacked, and then you eventually bought a duplex, multi units. What was the, what was the 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 inspiration for you to go from you know single family with multiple residential units up to a full on apartment building? What was kind of the inspiration for you? So at the time I had just joined Rain. So I was on my Rain Space forum and I was looking at they had a section on there for joint ventures, you know, for people that were pitching their deals. And at the time I moved to Central Asia. And so I was really unable to to invest myself, you know, and go and look at properties and buy properties. You know, I was a non-resident of Canada. So I thought, well, this is a great way to invest passively. And some of the most richest deals that I've seen, you know, were multifamily. So that's how I I did that. So I ended up investing in one in 2014, you know, with Thomas. And I think we ended up, you know, it was also a very strong market in Edmonton, right? 2003 to 2007. So, you know, he sold the building in 2008. We just, I think I made, you know, 200% return or something crazy. And then I was just all into multifamily after that. You know, once I figured out the value was tied to the income, the NOI, and I was just, I was sold. I was all in at that point. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you went the route of, and, and quite honestly, this is a, a very recommended route to go. Is, so you did the route of doing a joint venture where you were the capital partner of joint venturing with the real estate expert. And you had an intention that you were doing this is I'm going to learn this process. I want to learn the system from somebody who's been down this path before me. And lo and behold, you actually made money by you learning the process at the same time. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I recommend that route for anybody starting in commercial just because of the, you know, the cost of mistakes at the multifamily level can be fatal. And, you know, thankfully that first deal, you know, I went in with someone who was more experienced, who was also able to take me under their wing and, you know, really, really train me on the aspects of it. You know, I honestly don't think, Russell, I would have done JVs raising other people's money myself had if I had not have done that first. Right. That was a really good stepping stone to get into my my first two deals, which I funded myself. So I kind of made my own mistakes with my own money first before I, I got into raising capital. Okay. So so you did a deal with a, an experienced investor before, um, kind of showed you the ropes and went there. Um, did you know, did you, when you went pivoted from kind of, I would call maybe a joint venture, you know, a, a transaction with training wheels, if in essence, right? To, to one that you did on your own. How did you, how did you find that? Uh, did you have the confidence to do it yourself or what was kind of that, that process that you went through to really kind of spread your wings and go on your own? Well, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I fell flat on my face first, you know? So from around 2005 to 2006, I think I probably put a dozen offers on buildings. You know, I had three of the buildings under contract. You know, prices were still really cheap. They were, you know, 35 to 50,000 a door in Edmonton. You know, I had buildings under contract and for some reason I didn't close on. Them. So I really, you know, looking back on that, I wasn't ready, but I did tremendous damage to my reputation, to joint venture partners. You know, I was, I really started too early and I just was not ready. So by the time 2008 came, you know, I was pretty much ready to give up. And then this opportunity came up to do it on my own. And I, I went that route instead. You know, obviously looking back now, if I had to close on those three buildings in 2005, I probably could have did it. It would have been a very different story today, but it definitely wasn't a straight line. I mean, I went, I took quite a few steps back before I managed to even take even a single step in the right direction, so to speak. No, I, so, so you said, you said a a lot there. So I'm going to acknowledge one thing for sure is, 
You know, a lot of people say in multifamily is sometimes you don't attempt multifamily, you, you do it. Sometimes it can damage your reputation. But at the same time, really the only way, in my personal opinion, that it would be a loss is if you quit and stop doing it, right? But you just persevered through it. You maybe took four steps backwards, but you just kept going forward. And today, you know, if I, I if I had your mortgage broker and your property manager and your realtor and people that on your team that you thought you had damaged reputation with, if I asked them, they'd probably say, man, he's one of the most upstanding guys. I'd trust him with my mother's money, right? So, so you didn't quit, which is the key thing, right? That's a great point, Russell. You know, it's <laughs> no matter, no matter what you do for, for damage, if you think, because you're inexperienced, you know, it's never too late to turn things around. I mean, we learn from our mistakes and we grow from there. And you're right. I mean, I remember those people. I can remember the realtors. I won't mention their names for the brokers, but I, I was probably the biggest joke in multifamily at the time. <laughs> you know, I, I was trying to get advice from people who had, who had more experience. They were telling me what to do. All I had to do was take that advice and do it. Yep. But, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was because of fear. Maybe it was because of, you know, some of these other things, but also, you know, the consequences of, um, you know, leverage on such a large scale with multifamily and at the time, I wasn't financially strong enough to do it on my own and even with a joint venture. So, you know, even if I'd have bought those buildings, I don't know how that would have turned out because I didn't have that level of experience with my own money first. Yeah. So I don't regret the way that it went, but yeah, the, the team members that I kind of burned back then are my strongest allies today. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's, um, you know, it's how you finish. It's not how you start the race too. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and to be honest, sometimes, how do you get experience? You get experience by, you know, pardon my language for a second, but by shit in the bed, right? And you, how do you get experience? By stepping on a landmine and, and having a, a bomb drop right? from, from just, from just uh, having, having some things that go wrong and making those mistakes. And, and truly, I, I firmly believe the only way you can really lose is if you stop and if you quit. So that's really the key thing here as well is to just kind of just keep going there. But, but here's the thing is, you know, from s someone sitting here going self-proclaimed, I didn't know what I was doing. I had, I made all the mistakes. I burnt a lot of bridges. I, you know, I, you know, uh, I was the, I was the joke in the multifamily space within this area. And who's laughing now, by the way, with 11 buildings under his belt or transactions. And I imagine you're looking yeah, for exactly. more. You're you looking know, I, for I more. Do, aren't yeah, you? I do. I do mentor other people too. And uh, this question has come up. I had a couple students that they did the same thing. They had a deal that they didn't close on. For whatever reason, it wasn't really their fault, but just the level of, you know, oh man, kicked in the gut, discouraged, I'm never going to buy a building. And I got to say, look, this is my story. This is what I did. Yeah. You know, every single one of you can do this too, right? Yeah. It's not going to be a straight line. You're not going to hit a home run right out of the gate. I mean, it can happen. I mean, I've seen it. If you obviously, if you bought something in Edmonton 2006, sold it in 2007 didn't matter what it was, you're going to be a genius, right? Yeah. But most of us didn't take that path, especially if you've been around a while, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. Yep. Nice. So, so here, here's a, here's a question line that I'm going to get into, and we're going to get into some tactical multifamily investing tips and strategies and, and conversation here. But if somebody is kind of sitting here and they're maybe thinking about multifamily, like thinking about going in down that road. What what would be advice? You're, you're coaching me, right? Let's say I'm, let's say I'm four years in. I've transacted. I know I have some acumen of real estate. I've transacted some single families. I'm looking to make that transition to multifamily. What advice would you give me of some simple next steps that I need to take in order to do this? 
I've actually seen a lot of people actually, you know, really struggle going from single family to multifamily, um, especially if they don't live, where, you know, where they want to invest. You know, I can think of several instances of people from the lower mainland that, you know, bought into Edmonton, maybe at the wrong time or under the wrong advice, and they really weren't prepared for it. And they did very well in single and, you know, just struggled mightily when they did that switch to multi. So the first thing I would say is, you know, get educated as much as you can, you know, try to reach out to people that know more than have done this before. And most of us, you know, we're very happy to share and give advice. I mean, we're very open-minded people. You know, if someone sends me a deal and says, what do you think? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think of the deal, how much I would pay, where I, the areas I would not invest in. Um, Definitely want to start making contacts. Uh, property management companies are a good one. I think property management companies know the market better than any realtor ever does because they manage the properties. But I'd say it's not something you really want to jump into. You want to you want to get a good reputation with a mortgage broker, you know, figure out how the lending process works. A good mortgage broker will give you a loan opinion before you make an offer. You know, most investors, you know, they'll put an offer and you know, expect to get 75 loan to value. And the lender comes back and says, well, we can give you 50% because they didn't, you know, contact them before the offer. But, you know, good brokers will do that, you know. So preparation is key, you know, having your ducks in a row. I mean, having the capital raised, you know, either having them cash yourself or having JV partners lined up, you know. Yeah. You know, being as prepared as you can before you go in yeah. to multifamily. Because like, like you said at the beginning here, you can't attempt multifamily, right? You're either all in or you're all out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so really just the, the, if I was to summarize it is really is, is the pre-purchase preparation. And, and what does that mean? That means aligning yourself with the education, aligning yourself with the knowledge, aligning yourself with the proper teammates, aligning yourself with the right people. Like for example, I'll give you an example. Let's say, and we'll go back to what the conversation we were having. So I'm and we're talking about me and let's say I was four years in, I bought a few properties and I'm sitting there going, I'm wanting to get into multifamily and I've determined maybe Edmonton, Alberta is the place to go. Okay. Um, who do you use as a realtor? Do you use Chris in Edmonton? Yeah, Chris is certainly a good realtor. Yep. I mean, there's several of them that I use. Okay. Uh, and this is the one misconception yep. too, is that you work with more only one realtor. Yep. You know, unfortunately with multifamily, you have to be more open-minded. It's good to start with one, one realtor. Yep. I mean, Chris, Chris is fabulous to work with. But I mean, honestly, he probably gets, I don't know how many calls a week yep. from new investors. Hey, I want to, I want to buy a building. I want to buy a great cash flowing building. Yep. And he maybe has two listings. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> he's going to do the best he can. You know, the best you can do is just be on his list. When something comes up that meets your needs, be prepared to write an offer. Yep. But, you know, what I would suggest starting out is, you know, you know, hit Avis and Young, hit CBRE, you know, contact, you know, a lot of these other realtors and just get on their email lists or their newsletters. So when stuff comes out, you're going to see it, you know, and start watching MLS, you know, maybe start building a bit of a database, you know, of projects, you know, that you're interested in the niche you want to invest in. Yep. You know, it depends on, you know, where you want to, if you want to do student or blue collar, maybe you want to do North Edmonton, maybe you want to have military tenants, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to pin down your niche first. And then and then start building your team around your niche. Wow, you you said them all full. We're going to come back to that in a second, but I want to complete this the thought <laughs> process here. Um, so here, here's honest to goodness, here's what I would do. 
if I was just, if I was me in that standpoint of four years in, a few single families, wanting to get into multifamily, wanting to go there, I honestly, uh, I, I would educate myself and do everything Corey would say. And then I would, I would get coached by Corey. I'd be p- part of his coaching program. And then what I would get Corey to do would make the connection for me to the realtor, the mortgage broker, the property manager. And then all of a sudden, I now separate myself from every other f- email that comes through is I'm being coached. I have uh, a person who's been down the road, 20 years experience. I have somebody that I I can, sh- I, I literally shortcutted the introduction and I shortcutted the learning curve by just being part of a, a program of somebody who's been there down the road before me, right? You stand on the shoulders of other giants is really what you do, right? Okay. So you, yeah, you nailed it. And, and when I started, I didn't have that. I didn't have that opportunity. Sorry to interrupt there. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that opportunity. Like when I was starting out to be able to to do that, to bounce, to, to access other people's networks. But that's really powerful. You know, if you get an endorsement or a recommendation, you know, from somebody, because I actually don't do that. If I get emailed and called all the time, say, Hey, can you recommend a property manager? Can you rep- rep- you know recommend a broker, a realtor? And if I don't know the person, I, I just won't do it because I don't know who they are. Right. I'm not going to introduce someone to my team that I don't, I haven't personally vetted myself, you know? So, you know, people that I know well or have gone through my program, then I'm happy to do that. And the success rate is actually quite high on that front, right? You know, because then instantly you're kind of at the front of the line and you get the best opportunities than you would otherwise. Yeah, that's what I do the same thing as when anybody, I have all the time people come and want a, a connection or a referral, but I won't do it until I have a, quali- a a conversation with the person. And I hard qualify them. I really ask them some hard questions. Um, because here's the thing is what I want to do is my team is extremely good and extremely busy and they unearth off-market opportunities that that not everybody can have. They're not a, a realtor that would just set you up on an MLS drip and just fire you out just the rent, run-of-the-mill properties. They're out there literally digging in the dirt to go find the good opportunities. And I'm not going to send them anybody. I'm going to send them some good quality people because I want them to transact and I want people to win. But at the same time, in order to earn that referral, you have to do some work yourself too, right? Oh, for sure. It's absolutely, it's a two-way street, 100%. Yep. All right. So, so and, and here's what I'm going to circle back to in that conversation that you 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 had and you started there was um, I 100% believe that, and this is something my business partner and I coined and it's it's not rocket science and it's not unique to us it's the three pillars of real estate is what you buy where you buy and who you rent to and the most important of those three variables is who you rent to the tenant profile um is that your same philosophy or how do you start your process do you just look at pro forma start or do you look at areas of cities do you look at tenant profiles how do you kind of start narrowing your search Corey? yeah who to rent to is definitely critical um it's one of the things that i didn't really look at before but now, I mean, you know, I tend to avoid certain areas like Edmonton. I don't really invest in the inner city. I like the outskirts. I like, you know, areas like Leduc, Fort Saskatchewan, Spruce Grove, because I'm looking for more of a blue collar uh, tenant who has a vehicle and drives. Right. And I've had the most success with that. I can minimize my turnover. So, yeah, I mean, tenant profile is definitely number one. And, you know, number two would be area. And, you know, my two niches I, I really love is Edmonton and Saskatoon. I do have a slight um, bias towards Edmonton because I have much stronger management. You know, property management has been a real struggle for me in Saskatoon. It's a smaller market. There's a lot of competition, if you wouldn't believe it, from out of province. For some reason, it's like this, 
it's almost like uh you know St. John, New Brunswick, that no one heard about it. And now all of a sudden it's like Saskatoon, everybody wants in on it. So what we're seeing there in multifamily is almost speculation, which is great for an owner, but to try to buy something there, you know, is difficult. Yeah. So yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at price per door, cap rates. Um, but the lending rate has also become much more challenging in the last six months. And, you know, I'm actually looking at this stress testing my loans a lot more. But most of all, I'm looking at upside, right? Is what is the market rent and how much do I have to spend uh, in upgrades to get to that rent? And that's going to determine how much I'm willing to pay for that property. Okay. And, you know, right now there's actually quite a bit of buildings for sale. So investors are actually, you know, for the first time in a while that I've seen, we can actually take our time, make our big proper offers and do proper diligence, right? The market is very much in balance now. I sure hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we jump back to the conclusion, our strategic partners from Streetwise Mortgages are here with another important mortgaging tip. All right, take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. I've noticed that more and more investors are stepping into multifamily investing these days. And because these are larger assets, investors tend to work with others to bring money to these deals, to acquire the asset, and sometimes to renovate it. So I wanted to share with you a tip to help you make financing a little easier. And by easier, I mean reducing the chances that the lender is going to require personal guarantees from your partners, and also reducing the chances they're going to ask for tons of paperwork. So here is a proposed structure that will help you achieve that. Firstly, when you're buying commercial assets, I highly recommend that you put these assets in a holding company and not in your personal name. And if you are the expert in the investment strategy, then you can go as the director of the corporation. You can be the director of the corporation and you can add others who are your key partners also as a direct directors of the corporation. Ideally, as directors of the business, you would own 50% or more of the shares of that business. Ideally, majority shareholders. For those who you are bringing into the deal, ideally, keep the individual share ownership at 20% or less and the collective ownership from these partners at 50% or less. Why? Because when the lenders look for personal guarantees, they're first going to look at the directors of the business and uh, look at their net worth and look at their experience. But they're also going to look at the majority shareholders of the business. And if the main applicants who are the directors of the business do not have the net worth, which is generally 25% of the loan amount you're applying for, then the lenders will start to look outside of the directors to supplement these personal guarantees. So if you want to uh, minimize the chances they're going to ask for these personal guarantees from others, you want to make sure that the front runners on the deal have the required net worth, they have the required experience, and also have majority ownership in the business if possible. If you are looking to grow your portfolio into the multifamily space and you're looking for guidance on how to structure your deal with others 
or how to acquire an asset and turn it around and how to plan your exit, myself and my team would be happy to assist you. You can contact us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Okay, so so let me just bookend that. So literally what you're looking for is you're looking for fundamentals in an area, but you're also looking for probably that spread versus what it's renting for and what it should be renting for. And you're, that's one of the primary things you're looking for. Is that, is that, would that, is that a safe summary of what you just said? Yeah. And an, another great way to say it is I don't buy on cap rate, you know, of the building, because if the rents are 200 bucks below market and maybe they're managing the property very poorly, their expenses could be out of control. So you're going in cap rate is really irrelevant because it's going to be different six months after you bought the building. Yep. But you still have to know the prevailing cap rate of what the appraisers are going to use and what the lenders are going to use, right? Now, loans are being scaled back due to debt service. But, you know, if the, the building we bought in Leduc, for example, the rents were like, you know, $800, you know, and now we're getting like $1,250, right? <laughs> A year later. So, yep. you know, if we bought it based on $800, it, you know, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. So we, we paid a little bit more than that because of the potential, but we still had to buy based on what the actual market was. And that's a lot of the, what newbies kind of, the mistake that they make is they're so focused on cap rate, but going in that that's really all they look at. But what you really have to look at is where's the building gonna be in six months to a year after you bought it. Even longer in rent controlled markets like Ontario and uh, British Columbia. Oh, brilliant. And and um, one of the things that I remember a conversation I had with, you know, have you met Dave Steele with Western Properties Group? No, I haven't had the pleasure to meet him yet, but I have seen uh, some of his podcasts. I've yeah. seen some people interviewing him and uh, I love the Western wealth model. They've yeah. really scaled up quickly you know, in the state. So it's awesome. Well, but one of the things that he said that was absolutely brilliant that really stuck out for me is this game of multifamily comes down to management, really, what what you just told me. And, and it's one thing is in certain markets, if you can't good, 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 get good management, you potentially will do a hard pass on that area. Um, but, but one of the things he said was he and they go to an area, they identify the worst manager, the worst management companies in the town. They bring their own management process in, which they consider to be one of the best. And then their acquisition team targets the worst managed properties in the area. And then what they do is they just turn the management around on these properties and they get an instant lift by just changing over management with things because you 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 more effectively manage it. You fill vacancies, you raise rents, you come in with your gold standard package of renovations. And honest to goodness, their entire acquisition strategy is just target those buildings that are managed by the worst manager in town. That's that's brilliant. I actually have I actually did hear that before. And you know, it's one of the things that I should actually look at more more in my markets, right? I can give you a great example. That happened to me in Saskatoon. I was with a property management company. I have a good friend. He bought an identical 24 sweeter right beside mine, right? For two or three years, we both had incredible, you know, difficulty, high vacancies. I, I hired a new management company and you know, instantly we raised rents hundred dollars a unit, nobody moved out. So I refinanced that same year and I got a half a million dollars higher in lift than my neighbor right beside me. And his building, his rents are still at the same level and he's still with the same management company. So it's amazing how much of a difference in equity upside just just changing management can make. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. Now 
Okay, so let, let's let's talk about, so let's say you've, you've identified an area, you've identified some upside, and you've identified, you know, um, you know maybe some properties. So what do you just do is does a, does a realtor just kind of send you listings and you analyze them? Do you go find your own? Do you do your own digging? What's kind of the process for acquisition in your world? Yeah, I just do a, I have a lot of analysis tools, but I really just do a quick and dirty calculation, Russell. Like I really track the expenses more than anything. And I, I'm, I'm up to date on that from my property manager. So on most pro formers, you'll see they'll use, you know, 5,000, 5,200 per unit per year. Well, I'll call up my PM and say, well, what are you, what are you guys seeing right now? Well, we're up at 6,000. So now it's very simple. I just take my expenses, right? If it's $6,000 times 20 units, you know, and then I figure out what the rents are, what I can get the rents to, and then I can figure out, uh, you know, what what I'm willing to pay for the building from that, right? And then I just filter out the the buildings that have the best upside. You know, I I don't like you know small one bedrooms or bachelors. You know, I would prefer you know two and three bedroom units. Those buildings are a little bit rare. You know, um, obviously the more units uh, per building, the better. You know, something like eleven to eight suiteers, they're hard to manage. You you don't have onsite managers, so they really cash flow poorly. So I look at like 20 suites plus, um, but most of all, I'm looking at, you know, the condition of the building and, you know, what's the upside. Yeah. Um, okay. The common thing is you see buildings that are, you know, need a lot of work, high vacancies, yet they still want, you know, a full market price. Right. Right. So I've had a lot of deals I bought that have been for sale MLS for like a year and I'll just make an offer for what I think it's worth. And I've gotten three mm. buildings that way. So you just never know. You got to figure out what the value is that you're willing to pay, put in your best offer. And then wait and see what happens, right? Mm. And but in a lot of times, you know, the realtor will laugh at me or the vendor will like, no way, just flat out refuse. But then, you know, six months to a year later, it comes back, right? Because I've done my homework going in. And I know as a sophisticated investor what that building is worth, right? Oh, cool. So interesting that you said that you kind of start on the expense side of things. And and you know, at the end of the day, a dollar, a dollar saved is still a dollar earned. And and here's the thing is. If everybody just kind of, most people probably would jump in on the income side and find out if there's something there. And let's say you're already at peak rent on there. A lot of people might just throw it out, but here's Corey coming along, analyzing the expenses with a fine tooth comb and getting the magnifying glass out. And you might find an opportunity that somebody has passed on because they just don't dig deeper into the expense side of things. That's quite, quite brilliant, actually. So, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to pivot here. I want to pivot into, um, and let's take a let's take a small case study of of a, of a property that um, that you just recently did, and maybe or I know I hate to put you on the spot, but you know your numbers pretty inside home backwards. But let's take a let's take a peek into uh, a case study of the Leduc place that you just purchased recently. Okay, and and when did you guys put an offer? I know you and another person on this podcast, Michael Bug, were part was part of that as well. And you guys um, have done that. When, when did you put the first offer in? What did you buy it for? What is some, tell us the story of the Leduc multifamily you just recently bought. Sure. So around April of 21, I put in the offer based on what I thought, you know, based on the rent roll, based on the expenses, without having seen the building. I mean, it had four vacancies at the time. They were asking 110,000 a unit. I put in an offer at 95 you know, and I, and I got, and I got the deal. So I got it under contract. Now I went and walked through the building. This was before, you know, Mike was involved in the deal. I walked through with my property manager and this is the most critical step of all. And he looked around and he said, Corey, you need to spend, I can't remember how much it was. It was something like 8,000 a unit to get to the market rent. And the market rent was actually lower than what I thought it was. And it was funny because he was there with the realtor and the realtor is trying to tell us what the rents are. 
And, you know, my, my manager's brain, he just looked around. He says, well, I manage this building, this building, this building, this building. And I can tell you that the rents are this, right? So, you know, we based it on that. I went back and asked for reduction to 85,000 uh, a unit. And I just got a flood of refusal. No. So the contract was collapsed. And this actually happened to me on previous deals too. You know, it's like kind of discouraging, but at this point, you know, I hadn't lost any money. This is seven days after the purchase contract is signed. So you always want to walk through with your property manager as soon as you can after an offer, because this is the time to retrade the asset. This is the time to ask for a haircut if it's justified. And in this case, it was. So, you know, the sellers were obviously, they responded, you know, very negatively, but I left the door open. So three months later, they had it under contract again, and it had fallen apart again. So I think by this point, the deal had fallen apart maybe five or six times. So hmm, there's kind of a pattern going on here, right? So when they called me a second time, I was ready. So I said, okay, yeah, my offer still stands at 85. And we got it at 85. So that's how we ended up getting the building under contract at that price. So my, my PM had already walked through it. So, you know, buying the building was very easy. We got a bridge loan. You know, rates were fairly low at the time. So it still made economic sense. So we did our renovations. You know, I think it was eight or nine months later, we refinanced the building around 130 a door. So we were able to pull, I think, 90% of our equity, almost all of our equity out, you know, despite, you know, rates were already higher by the time we refinanced in uh, July of 2022 of this year. So, okay, so you- It's a pretty, pretty good deal. Wow. So you you bought the place. So let me just, my my sixth grade Saskatchewan math is here. But 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 I, I tell the joke, Corey, is I do have my grade 12 in Saskatchewan. I took grade six twice. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so you bought it for eighty five a door. Um, what kind of a renovation package? How much did you put into the property on a re- uh, for a renovation per door uh, on that on that um, units? Yeah, so we budgeted. I think we budgeted two hundred fifty thousand. Now we didn't end up renovating all the units, so I think we ended up spending, you know, about one hundred and eighty to to two hundred thousand. And that's because you know when you give rent increases, some tenants don't move out. So the best strategy to do this is we, we instantly renovated the units that were vacant. We did super high-end renovations. We extended the countertops. We put in a dishwasher. We actually made our two bedrooms larger because we knew we couldn't compete with other two bedrooms because our two bedrooms were small. So we took a chunk of the hall and made our two bedrooms like a lot nicer and bigger. So we were able to get top rents there. So then what we ended up doing is we raised rents on, uh, I think, six of the units at a time. But before that, we actually said, we gave them notices and we said, look, we want to spend, you know, $5,000. We want to give you a brand new bathroom. Okay. And then, you know, the tenants, they knew the rent increase was coming, right? But we, we did this first, you know, we said, okay, we're going to do the bathroom reno. So then it wasn't a surprise when we asked for the, the full rent increase. It was like $150 a unit. So out of those, about half of them ended up leaving. So then we ended up doing full renovations on the ones that vacated, but the ones that didn't are today paying uh, full market rent. So we're ending up with a building that was 18 units that I think probably 70% of the units have been upgraded, but the other haven't. But we have full market rent on all the units. So that's kind of how that went down. Okay. So just so I'm following, so let's say you round numbers for me, uh, 200,000 in a rental package. What, what is, how many suites in that one again? Uh, it was 17, but we, we were planning to do we were planning to do a, a bachelor conversion of the storage room because the storage room was big enough. Yep. So it was going to be 18 units. So I think we budgeted we had budgeted 250 in total, but I think we were just under that. I think we I think we spent around 200. 
So, you know, divide that by 17 units. Um, so that's like 12,000 uh, a door or something. Yeah. Just sure. under 12, 11 and change. Okay. So you bought the properties yeah. for 85,000. You added $11,000, you know, ballpark number. So you're into it for 96, 96 a door. Um, and you said you got it appraised, yeah. uh, you got refinanced at 130 a door, 130 a door. So that's, you yeah. just, you raised the value of each unit by $34,000 just by doing that there uh, on a, on a, residential appraisal type of a model and stuff like that because it, as you as we know in multifamily it's based upon the NOI and the income you generate and all that kind of stuff but at the same time that's that's a good investment of that $11,000 if you can get a $34,000 lift on just valuations right so what uh, yeah and a good point on that is i always say you need two for one right so a lot of people will buy a building at 110 a door you know to get an end value of 20 120 a door and then spend 10 to get there. Right. But you need something for your pain and suffering, right? Like you need to get compensated for that. And the other, the other piece to that too, is there was the bridge financing that we had to use. So that added, uh, I think it was another $80,000 to the cost as well. Right. So you have to factor that in as well as, you know, you're, you have to duplicate an appraisal. We didn't have to redo a phase one, but we had to do another building condition report. When you do a refinance, it's like a whole new purchase. So you have to add all those fees in as well. So, if you're doing a burr or a value add like this, you need to get the building at a substantially low low price for this approach to make sense. Yeah. Especially today with the interest rates we're in. Like we have another building under contract right now and this option is completely off the table just due to the the changing lending environment. Yeah, so so in essence, you know, that $11,000 that was just hard cost of the renovation that you put in, not including right. a lot of the soft costs and some holding costs and vacancy costs. So that $11,000 renovation could be upwards of almost $18,000, $20,000 per door on 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 a total cost in package, right? So you're now into it Definitely. for 105 as opposed to buying it for 105 right. and then having to do that work, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, if we would have paid full market price, we would have basically made nothing. Would have even cost us money. We wouldn't even have been able to refinance our equity out. Yeah, and you also right. wouldn't have had any money able to do the renovation work to be able to raise the rents to be able to get the higher valuation, or else you'd have to be going into the old cookie jar that's buried out in the backyard, and you know sometimes throwing good money after bad is not the answer too, right? Have the asset. No, pay. you don't want to get in that situation. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> have the have the asset pay for the renovation, right? If you will. So okay. So you then got yeah. a new valuation. Talk to talk to me about how how does a refi in this how does a refi kind of work? So you got the rents up, then you went and made a new application, you went CMHC. Talk to me about the refi and then and then we'll complete the bow on this one purchase. Yeah. So when when we refinanced at the time, you know, the MLI Select, which was the affordable housing program, was was really picking up steam. It was kind of the flavor of the year. Everybody was doing it. You know, we were kind of told that you know why wouldn't you want to do this? There's you know you can borrow way more money. Um, you know, the debt coverage ratio is lower. But the process was as soon as we received a stable rent roll that met our target. So we had a target going in. You know, I think we wanted to get to like 1,100 on rents. We ended up getting a little bit higher than that. But we weren't able to do that sweet conversion. You know, the city of Leduc put the brakes on this conversion, you know, and we're actually still fighting this. We're actually taking like taking this up in, uh, you know, legal mechanisms to try to get them to to approve this application because it's an eight, like an $800 net income, eight in, $800 per month times 12 months capped out is a lot of value, right, yeah. that we're leaving behind by not having this bachelor suite. 
But thankfully, we were able to raise the rents higher on the other units to, to make up for that, uh, that that rent that we didn't get. So as soon as we reached the target rent roll, I think it was something like 22000 or whatever it was, you know, we instantly reached out to our broker. We said, okay, we're at target because we want to pay out the bridge loan as soon as we can. You know, we're paying massive interest rates on that every month. It's interest only. If we go to with the 12 month, there's a reset rate. So we're going to end up paying a higher rate. And then, you know, things just don't go well if you take a burr beyond 12 months. So we we were very motivated to get that done. Uh, it was in the middle of summer. Uh, we did that. We, we, got, we got the approval fairly quickly. And when we were doing it, you know, rates were around 2%. And over the 30-day period is when we had that massive spike. And interest rates went from like 2 up to like 4.5. So there was a lot of sweating bullets. We were like, man, we got to get this locked. We got to get this locked. We actually ended up having to pay down. It was called a pay down rate. So we had to pay $60,000 to get a rate of 3.5. And then the Bank of Canada bond just continued to go from there. So it was really a, a bit of a timing thing. But that's kind of the nuts and the bolts of how the refinance went. Um, at the end of the day, it was good. We got the money we wanted out of it, but we didn't get the rate we wanted. Right. And you know, with these roller coaster rates, a lot of investors are going through the same thing with refinances right now. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's a couple things there, some some questions I want to ask in there as well. And and it's just for, for education purposes here. Um, okay. So... Now, someone's in there going, well, why is it important that you maybe want to get that bachelor unit and you kind of rattled off $800 a month in rent? And, and that's pretty true net. Like it's not, you're not adding a lot more to the cost of it. If you have 18 units versus 17 units, the cost is razor thin marginally. Um, so 800 times 12, right, is what you would do. Times 12 yeah. would be just, let's call it, you know, let's call it 9,600. Now then, what do you? What's the calculation to determine what the vi- building valuation would go up? Do you take that that let's call it let's call it nine thousand. Let's say um, how do you how do you calculate the valuation lift on that by doing that? So you just divide that number. So let's say it's nine thousand yep. divided by the prevailing cap rate. So at the time, it's probably what five point five percent. So I mean, if you have your calculator there, you can do that for me. But basically, for every dollar of rent, you increase the value of your building by. Uh, $200 right. is kind of the rough calculation. Okay, so did, does this sound right? So if I did that calculation, you by adding that other unit at 800 bucks a month, there's a hundred and just shy of $164,000 in building lift for you. Yeah, exactly. So 800 bucks times 200. That's that's the rule of 200, right? Gives you 160 grand. So that's on one unit. Right. So this the lift, the multiplier effect. I mean, this is why we do multifamily as investors. Yeah. Especially when you when you look at right now in Alberta, and I I believe, you know, there's going to be a two three hundred dollar rental lift in the next three years. You know, a lot of people think I'm crazy for predicting that. Um, I'm not going to lock myself into MLI select rent control because I think I can get tens of you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in upside in the next three years. We're just recapturing our losses from 2014, Russ. <laughs> right. So I think the investors who've had patience have been have taken their licks like you and I have. We're still in there. You know, now it's time. I hate to say this, but as landlords, it's time to be greedy. Well, right. You know, we've been we've been on the other end of the stick for so long. Here, here's the way I reframe it. I had lunch with a good friend of both of ours, not going to mention his name because he likes to be under the radar. And he just said, he goes, you know what? I've taken enough kicks in the you know where over the past decade. It's about high time these properties are going to start paying me now for all this pain and suffering I've gone through. And 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 sometimes you just need to have a PhD. And I call PhD as a pig head 
committed determination with, with this kind of stuff too. And just at the end of the race, if you're the last one at the end, that's what's the most important thing as well. All right. So, so I'm going to pivot the conversation and I would not, um, I would not be doing my job justice here. So I, I firmly believe that, you know, one of two things in, in real estate investing, you need to acquire properties, find good deals, and you need to attach and you need to raise capital, get capital and match good deals up to capital. Okay. Um, what do you, what do you typically do to fund a lot of your properties? I know a lot of the early ones you funded yourself and you probably still fund some of them. How do you go about raising your capital in order to buy 11 buildings over the years? Cause I imagine not all of it came from your own money. Yeah, and you know, interestingly enough, I mean, this process wasn't that difficult for me. And I think it was just because, you know, when I did that first deal in 2004, I, I just believed in the multifamily as an investment so strongly I had an elevator speech lined up and anyone who would listen, even people who didn't want to listen, I would start talking about multifamily buildings. And after a while, you know, the people who were interested in the conversation, I quickly formed relationships with, right? I got them on my email list. I'd send them potential buildings. Obviously, my first few, my first JV was, uh, you know, my brother, my parents and a good friend, a coworker, right? And then it was ended up being friends of theirs, you know, and acquaintances with theirs. And I branched out. And I think you write about that in your book, The Circle of Influence, right? You start at the center, it's the easiest. As you branch out, it gets harder and harder. Now, my last official JV was 2017, in which um, I had a couple people that I hadn't met face-to-face, and that was the only time that I had done that. So before that, it was all people I had very close relationships with. But the deals I did since, like the three buildings I did, I actually partnered up with just single investors. So we just pooled our money together including the last one, you know, in the Duke with Mike, right? Yep. But now I'm at the point where I'm, I'm again looking at that circle and realizing that I have to, I have to start extending a little bit. You know, we've reached the limits of our capital. So those conversations are starting to come in again. So now, you know, I'm starting to reach out to investors, starting to have those conversations again about raising capital. Because yeah, I mean, multifamily is unlimited. That's the greatest thing about it, right? As long as you can keep finding deals, they land based on net worth. So from the first deal, you, you just need 25% of your net worth of the mortgage. I'm sorry, 25% of the mortgage amount in net worth, right? So if you're borrowing a million, you just need 250 net worth, right? It's kind of the opposite in the States. You need more net worth. But anyways, that's a side discussion. Um, so once you get your first building under your belt, you have the net worth. Then it's easy to just cookie cutter that and buy many. But you still need the capital to fund those deals. Yep. So that's the limitation there, right? And and one of the things you're doing is you're now, you know, you were having these conversations with anybody and you were doing them one-on-one, which I highly recommend is the best conversation you can ever have is if you can get a one-on-one conversation with a person. But look at look at us, you know, us, us uh, good old Saskatchewan boys here embracing some technology of putting a message out to a wider audience. And you just never know. Somebody might be sitting here and listening to Corey tell a story about a Leduc place. Like seriously, if after you hear a story, now don't get us wrong, we could tell horror story after horror story until the cows come home. Don't get us wrong. But if you heard a story that you can buy something for a certain price point, you put in some money into it, it gets lifted up to here. Within a year, you pull your money back out. And then I'm assuming the Leduc place after the reef is still cash flowing quite nicely. I'm assuming that. Wouldn't that be the case? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the rental market into the fall of 2022 was incredibly strong in Leduc. I mean, we had vacancy rates lower than 1%. We have the manufacturing areas of NISQ there. It has taken a breather. I think I had to give 
it was, I didn't give a rent incentive, but I think I gave like a hundred dollars off the first month or something in December to rent a unit, but it was only cause it's completely dead. You know, I'm anticipating that's going to pick up again in the fall. Um, there was a few more maintenance items we had to do. We had to do some, uh, some repairs to the roof, you know, a couple minor things, but yeah, we're in a good cash flow position. Uh, we borrowed 85% loan to value on a 40 year AM. So we didn't, you know, do the full 50 year AM under the select program. And we're in an excellent position to just continue to raise our rents, you yep. know, and I, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to have three to 5% rent increases for at least the next three years, maybe even longer. Right. So we anticipate very strong cash flow moving forward. Yeah. And so the point I was making and getting to is you hit it, the nail on the head for me is, you know, just getting out and just sharing the story. Like, honest to goodness, like when you hear that story, it's like I'm sitting here going, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for my pocket, my my checkbook and going, you know, Corey, shut up, take my money. <laughs> right? Like what what's not to, what's not to like about it is, is, the, is the point I'm trying to get to. So, so gang, if you are, you know, a lot of the people on my podcast are listening for your real estate investors yourself and you're, you want education and inspiration. Um, so that's what we're doing here right now is we're sharing a wonderful story of education and inspiration. And there's so many things you can take from this. Is And here's the question I would ask you is, how are you sharing the stories of your deals and your transaction out to a wider audience? And how are you distributing your message to be able to raise some people with the raise their hand? They might become a deal lead for you. They might become somebody who wants to invest in your next redevelopment plan. They might become somebody who wants to invest in your next multifamily project. So do you take the time to distribute your stories out to a wider audience? And that's one of the things you're doing right now, is it not, Corey? Yeah, you know, I always believe in in tell not sell, right? We always want to talk about our home runs and not our not our struggles. But you know, stories like this are, are really fabulous because it, it's win win for everybody. You know, it was it was great for Mike and I. I. I did another deal in Beaumont that was even richer, so it's really great for my investors. You know, my 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 partners and the tenants. You know, the people who live in the buildings now because you know even after these increases, the rents are affordable. We fixed a lot of issues in the buildings. You know, we get comments from tenants of how nice it is now and how how happy and proud they are to live there. And they're sticking around longer. You know, Terry Pran just said it best. He's like, we need rounder tenants. This is how we make our money as multifamily. We need tenants who are going to stick around. You know, turnover kills you. So if we if we make our units nice, we get long-term tenants in there. That's the path to... Uh, to wealth and multifamily for yeah. sure. And and you're the what you've added to Terry's rounder tenant thing is you've elevated the rounder a little bit from from Terry's tenant profile. Like don't get me wrong, I'm, he's done very well in the areas that he's invested in. I uh I I wouldn't go into those areas cuz you know, management is is a key. First of all, finding a manager in certain areas is tough too, right? So all right, Corey. Well, you well know, a lot of them won't even go in there, and yeah. he's he self managed in Beverly. Yeah, I don't know how many hundreds of units himself, like literally going door to door. And I, I don't know if he has a black belt in jujitsu, but I mean, how he pulled that off, I don't know. But <laughs> no, definitely tenant profile is is key. Yeah, and and I and I know for a fact I've been in I've been in those areas myself. And when the Edmonton Police Service has you on dial and they call you up and they know you by first name and they talk about your gunfire in your units and stuff like that, and I'm out of town and I'm just like, oh my goodness, that's I don't I don't need that hassle. <laughs> I really don't. Now, one of the things you mentioned here is you you know we went through this process that we talked about and we talked about renovating units and managing units and doing all this kind of stuff. Um, just to be clear, you're not the one doing all that work, are you? 
No. And, you know, since my, I told you the unity case study that I actually did do all that on myself, including like finding contractors, I didn't pick up a hammer and do any physical work, but I was doing all the project management. Now I don't do any of that. And this is the real beauty of the property management company that I have right now, because I just pay them like a project management fee. They can get contractors in there. They can do a suite in a week. Like I can never do that on my own, right? They have such a large uh, scope of trades. You know, they, they can get it done cheaper. They can get it done faster and they know the rental market. So for me, the process is very seamless. I basically hand the keys to the building over to them and I talk to them maybe once every two weeks. And now I'm already onto the next project, right? Unless some kind of issue comes up. But that's been the real beauty of how I've really streamlined my business, and especially in the last five years, is I've taken all that micromanagement off my plate and just let the professionals do what they're, what they're best at. Yeah, and especially if we're going to get into... And I think this might be a next conversation for us to have on this is especially if you get into if you want to scale your portfolio, it's it's non non-negotiable. You have to outsource all that kind of stuff, especially if you want multiple, multiple units. Like, don't get me wrong, it's totally great and it's a badge of honor to buy a property and you're putting all your uh, you know, your posts out there about all the renovations you're doing and the appliances are coming and you out there painting at two o'clock in the morning. Like, don't get me wrong, the hustle is strong. I'm I salute you, but you'll slowly burn yourself out and you will never be able to go uh, greater than a half, you know, a handful of properties. If you want to grow and scale, you have to be able to outsource. And that might be another conversation for you and I to have about some of your systemizing and outsourcing of properties. Are, are, are you down for another conversation, Corey? Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to talk. I can talk about that stuff all day long for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that in, in my personal opinion, I think I think that's even more of some of your uh, your prowess of what you're best at is the project management side of thing and just holding the people accountable. Probably you're you're better th- at that than a lot of people I know. And the reason I say that is, you know, and I'm going to give you uh, some some kudos here. You put out one of the best annual reports that I see. Uh, when you put out to your investors or market reports, I don't know what you call them, but I've seen some of your your analysis on building performances and what you do in the story and the written work of your 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 reports that you put out. Honest to goodness, Corey, that is those are works of art. To be honest, they're they're you put a lot of time and effort into it, and and it shows. And they're one of the best resources I've seen out there of that. What do you what do you call that report that you put out? Um. Pardon me, I just got something in my throat here. Yeah, I I just do that. I just do a semi-annual report. Like I just, I just, it's basically just an update of my properties. So I update, I get my um my reports from my property manager. Like I actually have a scrum with them. I have a call with them. You know, where are things at with the buildings? How did we do with rents? How did our budgets go? What did we do? What didn't we do? And then I also get like annual reports just about the markets that we're in. And then I use that to analyze, you know, how did the vacancy go? Where do we anticipate versus where we're at today? You know, what's the value at today? So I'm very much taking a look at not only today, you know, what we did yesterday and how, you know, how we anticipate going forward tomorrow. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for the compliment. I mean, a lot of a lot of investors really like those reports. Um, it really gives them a lot of, you know, warm and you know, warm and fuzzy feeling about the deals. And I don't do them as often as I used to. I mean, I used to do them every three months and I just found that was a little bit too much. Um, you know, especially now that I've owned the properties for some some of them several years, six, seven, eight years, I'm finding a good frequency is about twice a year to send them an update. But yeah, those they're really good reports and people really like them. Yeah. And that's one of the one of the reasons why I say that is because, you know, sometimes 
you notice things that you're weak at. And I know that that's one of the things that I'm not good at. I'm, I'm really good at on the front end of the marketing and the bringing people in. My, my weakness, which I'm also not giving myself an excuse or a pass, I still can get better, is on the follow-up and that reporting and things like that. And that's why I just wanted to give you acknowledgement of that as well. All right. So, Corey, we, we awesome. literally could block off probably another three or four hours. And I've, I've, <laughs> I'm holding you to commitment that you'd like to do another episode. Would you like to do another episode on some different topics here, my friend? Yeah, for sure. 100%, Russell. I'm always down for, for an interview with you. Right on. Okay. So, but before we do transition, um, one of the things that I, I like to do is, um, you know, I was like kind of wrapping things up towards the end is, um, is with some good old-fashioned inspiration. So if somebody's sitting here and they're they're watching this and, you know, maybe they're or listening to this on podcasts and they're feeling a little, you know, they're a little stuck, right? And maybe they just don't know what the next step is and they're not sure what to do and interest rates and there's a whole bunch of geopolitical things at play and holy moly, Elon Musk and go on Twitter and social media and everything's just blowing up. And they're just not, they just don't know what, what what's going on. What would be some pragmatic, simple Saskatchewan next steps that you would offer somebody for some some good inspiration to, to to take the next step and keep moving forward here? Yeah, I'd say just take a break. You know, I keep even tell my kids. I mean, just get off the phones. I mean, we've had been bar- bombarded with negative news for two years in a row. You know, unplug and just do something like like that you like. Like I'm going out to the snowboard hill, right? I'm doing competing in martial arts. You know, take take those breaks. <clears throat> but most importantly. Try to try to kind of cut out the negative people in your life and not just with real estate. There are people that are going to bring you down. So, you know, try to network more with people that are, you know, are similar to you or or going in the direction that you want to go like yourself. I mean, start following some of these podcasts, follow people on those people on social. But right now, more than anything, I would say just, you know, take a break. I mean, the market is the real estate market's taking a break. It's a perfect time for you to take a break too. you know, take a break, reset, you know, love yourself, love your neighbor. And just focus on the positive things in life. Yep. And I, with that, I, <laughs> there's your boisterous round of indifference there. I, I 100% agree. <laughs> so, Corey, um, I'm, I'm quite sure that um, my audience is going to agree when I make this next comment is people are going to go, where the heck have you been for all these years? Like, seriously, like you're just coming out and, and you're making you're making a big splash in the marketplace. You're making a big splash with the content you're putting out. You're making, a, most importantly, you're making a deep impact on the people that you're working with, your, your clients, your students. I know many of them. And I was on a webinar you had the other night and every one of them are just on fire. They're all firing on all cylinders. They're out there taking action. And I just, I acknowledge a good coach who's being, and not just a coach. I'm going to use, I'm going to st- take it a step up. You're actually a good leader and you're a good leader in the community and you're helping people move forward. So I just wanted to just thank you and keep up the good fight, my friend. Oh, am I frozen there? Oh, sorry. You just cut out there, but I, I heard most of what you said. So <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for the kind words, Russell. Russell. And yeah, I want to thank you for participating, you know, with my group of students, with your joint venture segment, you know, some, some great tips in there. I'm very blessed to to have people like you that I can I can actually call for advice too. You know, it's not just I am a great leader, but I also reach out to other people too when I need help too. Yeah. So it's fabulous to be surrounded by all the positive energy. 
And I'm really looking forward to 2023. Well, and that's a sign of a good coach is a good coach is actually coachable all at the same time too. So, so, all right, gang. So why don't we leave it there? We're right around that one hour mark. And Corey, we are going to continue this conversation and gang. So first and foremost, if you want more information on this multifamily business or more information from Corey, and maybe if you want us to tell horror stories and good old fashioned in the trenches stories, we can definitely, honestly, that podcast would be a lot longer. (laughs) <laughs> this one we just did because you learn more from the mistakes you make as well. So, so gang, I just wanted to say thank you. Keep sharing the show, keep putting it out and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye for now, everybody. So what did you think about today's episode? Did you get as much out of this as I did? I just, you know, like I said, at the very opening and beginning of this podcast episode, I love talking with people moving forward. I love talking with people that understand the process. I love talking with people that, you know, aren't going to sugarcoat things and tell you that it's all going to be sunshine and roses and everything's and everything's going to work out fine. They're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you that there is challenges. They're going to tell you that this is difficult. They're going to tell you that people are going to make fun of you, but it's worth it. And if you stick with it, if you don't make the same mistakes over again, and if you make a commitment to keep in the game, if you make a commitment to keep moving forward and you make a commitment to never quit, you can become a success in this game. But it isn't going to be easy. Now, many of you signed up for real estate maybe in the past few years, and maybe it was a little bit too easy. And uh, I've had many conversations about that with many investors that the easy money days are over, gang. It's now time to start rolling up your sleeves. It's time to start getting to work. It's time to lean into your experts more than ever. It's time to lean into those people that have been around the block, those people that this isn't their first rodeo. It's time to really surround yourself with people moving forward and surround yourself with those experts. So if you are interested in surrounding yourself with a community of people moving forward, a community of people that are taking action, a community of people that aren't part of that old pity party that I talked about before, but they're people that are 100% responsible, 100% accountable, and take 100% ownership to themselves moving forward. If you're interested in that kind of a group, that kind of a community, I would strongly encourage you to check out the Raising Capital Academy. The Raising Capital Academy is a group that I've put together, and uh, maybe I'm a little biased as being the founder of that group, but every person in that community is a leader. Every person in that community is moving forward, and every person on that community is helping each other move forward as well. So if you're interested in that, check out, there should be some uh, links in the show notes and links in the podcast notes below. Click that on there, read all about it in the, um, in the, on the webpage, and then you can take it from there. All right, gang, remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. 
Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.